Welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode features a conversation with a different female writer where we dig deep about everything writing related, from being a woman in the industry to developing stories to editing style to mentorship. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome back for episode six of She Wrote That. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. I am so excited to be back this week with another great guest. Today, I'm speaking with author Sasha Lawrence. Sasha was raised in San Francisco and Northern California. She started taking writing classes at 826 Valencia in high school and would have minored in creative writing at Columbia University if the minor hadn't been eliminated. Instead, Sasha studied Russian literature and graduated summa cum laude. Upon graduation, she moved to St. Petersburg, Russia, and attempted to write a literary novel, unsurprisingly about Americans living in St. Petersburg, Russia. Returning to New York City, she earned her master's in Russian regional studies from Columbia University while working at the university. Since 2014, she's been pursuing her PhD in political science at the University of Michigan and currently resides in Ann Arbor. Her first novel, A Wicked Magic, was published in July 2020. We discussed everything from her experience querying and finding an agent to the importance of outlining and creating a structure for your work to what inspired her debut novel, A Wicked Magic. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. So tell me about how you first became interested in writing. Um, I've basically been interested in writing, you know, since I was, I mean, for, since I first knew that writing was like a thing that you could do. Um, when I was a little kid, I would like make up stories and things like that and, you know, scribble them down in notebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to high school, I started taking creative writing classes. Um, and I did that through college. Um, I actually almost majored in creative writing, but ultimately decided not to, um, so it's been a lifelong interest of mine, I guess you could say. That's great. And like you said, you went to college, you went to Columbia, and you studied literature there. I studied, think- um, sorry, I actually studied Slavic studies, which is like an interdisciplinary degree, and I focused on Russian and Czech literatures. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry. Even nerdier <laughs> than you thought, yeah. <laughs> that is so niche. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think your courses and like that specific area of that major contributed to your writing style and what you covered today? Um, I don't, well, I guess there's two ways to answer that question. So when it comes to my like creative writing uh, career, you know, it definitely does. Learning to analyze literature is really important to being able to produce literature. Um, you know, learning to read texts for things like symbolism and theme and, you know, understanding um, analyzing characters and things like that. It's really important, um, that you're able to do that with another text if you want to be able to produce that kind of stuff in your own writing. Um, the stuff that I was reading in college, I don't know if it has a whole lot of, um, direct <laughs> influence on the kind of YA that I write. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, those were sort of like classic, like the classics of like Western literature. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not yet ascending to those heights in my, <laughs> um, in my fiction career. 
Um, and then uh, I do also a lot of writing for my day job, which is um, I'm a PhD student in political science, um, and I work on Eastern Europe, or sort of the former Soviet Union, so Russia, um, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia, basically. Um, and so for that, um, definitely, uh, you know, I'll, like I still do the kind of um, writing that you learn to do for your term papers in college, so that's um, strangely a skill that has held me at very good stead as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see how studying all those classes could help with developing structure and coming up with stories. Yeah, I think it's, um, I guess for me, I think it's especially helpful when you think about theme. Um, that's really important to me when I write fiction. Like, you know, what is this book really about? You know, not in the sense of can I, how would I summarize this plot in a sentence or two, but, you know, mm -hmm. what are like the questions about, you know, life and relationships to other people and who we are in the world that um, I want to talk about in the book that I'm writing, um, especially now that I write genre fiction, um, which is something I'm still like relatively new to. Um, often when we talk about, you know, what a book's about, we do end up getting to those places of kind of like, it's a heist or like, it's a love story. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, I always feel like I want the plot of the book to be in service of a greater question um, or that bigger theme, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see how classic novels could you could lead you to that. And so you're pursuing a PhD in political science, which clearly also ties into your college major. What led you to do that? Is it still that same interest you had when you first went to college? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, when I got to college, I definitely wanted to um, study literature and writing and um, also maybe like human rights or some, I was very set on some kind of interdisciplinary thing. I really felt like the sort of boundaries that the different departments set in universities were, um, you know, that's a construction. And I felt that that was you know, potentially would interfere with, you know, my learning about the world and so on. Um, mm -hmm. And I ultimately ended up studying Slavic studies because that was a department where you could focus on literature, but also take, you know, like history or film, um, different classes that would sort of all help you really understand like a region holistically. Um, mm -hmm. And most of the other language, or sorry, literature departments didn't do that. Like, I was really appalled when I learned that if you wanted to major in English, like English at college doesn't mean what English means in high school. It means like literature from England <laughs> um, and some, you know, maybe also like the U.S. and Canada. Um, I was really appalled when I learned that you had to take like two classes on Shakespeare and two classes on pre-Shakespeare. And like, yeah, so I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> so I ended up studying Russia. Um, and I ended up actually really loving it. And I moved to Russia, um, after I finished college. So I was living there teaching English at a university. And I realized that although I had read, you know, Crime and Punishment and whatever, Anna Karenina and all of these like classic works of Russian literature, I thought that I really understood Russia. But when I was living there, I realized that I had no idea what was going on. Like I didn't know anything about, you know, what had happened since the fall of the Soviet Union. I didn't know who... Vladimir Putin really was. I didn't know why life seemed to be so hard for a lot of my friends there in ways that it wasn't um, hard in the U.S. 
Um, and so when I got back to the States, I got a master's degree also in regional studies, but this time focusing on more like political science type questions. And um, that's how I ended up getting a, um, becoming interested in getting a PhD in political science. So I took like a bit more of a circuitous route to get there than most people do. <laughs> I actually had never really taken like a real political science class, um, essentially, when I started my PhD program. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so interesting, though, that you can focus exactly on what you're interested in, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, I had a lot to learn about the field that I'm working in now when I started here, but um, I have really relied a lot on that, like, deep knowledge that I have about um, Russia and the former Soviet Union, um, which is great. Was that transition back into academic writing hard after not being in school for a little? Um, was it hard? Um, I don't know if it was, I never, I guess, thought about it as being hard per se. Um, when you're writing, um, when you're writing in graduate school, it's a different style of writing than um, you would be doing in college. Um, it's also very different from what I do in my like creative life. Um, when you're writing a novel, you're kind of trying to like make things almost as obscure as possible. <laughs> and in, um, in, you know, academic writing, you're trying to say, or at least in my field, you're trying to say things sort of as directly and clearly as possible. So like political science writing is very um, unadorned, you know, like you're just trying to use technically correct terms in the correct way. Whereas in like creative writing, you're sort of talking around everything almost. Um, so it took some time to get used to, but, um, now I really like actually having that kind of balance in my life. I like it that when I write for work, I don't have to think about it on that level of, um, making it sound super pretty or evocative or whatever. You can just say, like, if you need to use the same phrase, like 15 times in one paragraph, that's like basically okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it like been balancing your personal writing with that academic writing and your schoolwork on top of everyday life? Um, it's definitely hard at times, but in general, um, when you're uh, in grad school, you don't, or at least for me, um, I have basically full control over what I do with my time. Like I don't have to show up at an office um, and like report for duty or whatever. So I can really just structure my day myself. So if I'm drafting something, usually I'll just try to wake up on the earlier side um, and work for like two or three hours. And then if I need to work on my job stuff until like, you know, seven or nine or 11 o'clock at night, that's my decision. Um, so it's not been as hard as it was when I had a full-time job. <laughs> um, when I had a full-time job, I actually wrote the novel or wrote half of the novel that I got my agent on, which is not a Wicked Magic. Um, I wrote that on the subway on my way to work. I was living in New York and I had an hour commute each way on the train. Um, mm -hmm. And I wrote it on my cell phone um, while I was doing that because, you know, it's two hours a day is a lot. You can get a lot done. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. You have sort of more flexibility now than you did previously, though. Yeah, it's great. I love grad school. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, like, right every day is such a common piece of advice. And clearly, you're doing that with balancing your schoolwork and balancing 
your own writing. Do you have advice for people who want to write every day but are having difficulty carving out time or motivating themselves? Um, I actually don't write creatively every day. Um, I think that you need to take time off because you don't want to, you know, you don't want it to become a burden. Like you're doing this, um, hopefully because you enjoy it. Um, so unless, you know, you're on a deadline, I think it's important, even if you are on a deadline, I mean, it's more important than to be honest. I think it's important to, you know, give yourself a break and like relax as well. But, um, in terms of like putting together an everyday writing habit, I think it sort of depends on where you are in your experience as a writer. Like it might just be like setting aside 15 minutes to free write or journal every day um, and just get sort of like in the practice of producing words. Um, if you're working on drafting something, um, you can set, like I usually will set goals for myself, like a certain number of words a day. Um, and NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, is really great for like teaching you how to get into that habit and like just smash out words even if you think they're terrible because you have to meet that milestone um mm -hmm. or if you have an outline which I recommend that you have um trying to write like one scene or half of a scene if it's going to be long every day um I think writing with an outline actually makes it a lot easier to write on a daily basis because it sort of takes it takes down one of those roadblocks that's most difficult for your brain to get around you're like, oh, I'm going to like, like starting is the hardest part, even if you know what you're going to sit down to write. But, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. What are they doing? Where even are they? Like, what's, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to figure it out. And it's going to take me like a half an hour to figure this out before I even write anything. So I might as well not write it. If you can spend like the last 10 minutes of your previous writing session, you know, or five minutes, whatever, just like sketching out what the next scene is. Um, so your brain can just sort of like pick right up. Um on you know the story and getting words down that's really helpful I find yeah yeah I can definitely see that I like when I was younger I tried to creative write a lot and I could never get myself to come up with an outline and I took theater classes and I wrote plays and eventually I got into the habit of writing outlines and I feel like it is so so helpful and important to getting you on track and making sure that you can write exactly what you want to every day Absolutely. And it's not necessarily about writing exactly what you planned in the outline. It's just about, you know, as I said, sort of like getting over that obstacle to begin. Um, and also, I think in terms of producing like a better uh, first draft, at least, um, mm -hmm. it really helps. It really helps to know where you're going. I when I, I remember I used to read writing advice before I understood anything about like outlining or how to plot a novel. And I would see these writers being like, well, I don't know if I write with a detailed outline, but I always know the ending. I was like, what does that even mean? What do you know the ending? Like, I was imagining, like, they have the climax of the book all plotted out. Um, but the more experience I have with writing fiction, the more I realize that, like, sort of once you know the initial setup, you kind of automatically know the ending. Um, like... And Wicked, and Wicked Magic is about, you know, you learn on, like, the first page or even on, like, the back cover of the book that Dan and Liz, these two teenage witches, they've um, done a spell that went wrong and Liz's boyfriend got abducted. It's not rocket science. I'm not spoiling anything. It's not rocket science <laughs> to realize that, like, by the end of the book, that question has to be answered. Like, are they going to rescue him or not? Um, 
So you kind of know from the outset that that's where you have to get to. And then you're kind of like filling in the sort of stepping stones in between. And you can fill them in like very, very roughly. Um, or you can fill them in with like great detail. I mean, some people write outlines that are like thousands of words long. Um, I don't personally do that. But once you have sort of like an overall sense of the conflict, I feel like you kind of like, even if you haven't maybe written down a detailed outline, it's sort of implied by the way you've set up the story almost. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so going back to what you were saying earlier, so tell me a little bit about writing your first novel and how you got your agent. So writing my first novel um, was sort of something I undertook quite lightly. Um, and in retrospect, that seems sort of strange to me <laughs> because um, I'm not really a person who undertakes a lot of things lightly. So it's sort of odd to imagine myself having been in that position. But basically, um, this was before I applied to my PhD program and I was deciding if I wanted to try to get an MFA or a PhD. Um, like I had always been writing literary fiction. So, um, you know, like the kind of stories that get published in the New Yorker um, was like, that's what, that was like my goal. Um, and to do that, to write like novel and literary fiction, you, you don't have to get an MFA, but that's really like the most obvious path. Um, so I was considering if I wanted to do that. And I ultimately decided that I didn't want to because, um, there's just a lot of instability associated with that. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, come out of my MFA program broke and without, you know, a publishable work, which happens to a lot of people. So I decided to get a PhD. Um, and at that time I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be making a whole lot of money for the next couple of years. Um, I had just read like my first ever YA book was this like, I read this like very popular, like ultra best-selling YA novel. Cause I was like, what is this genre? This is so popular. Like people are all into young adult novels, which is weird. Cause these people are adults, but like, let me check it out. Um, so <laughs> I read this novel and I was like, wow, this is like in some ways deeply terrible, but also incredibly compelling. Like this is the, what someone says when they've never read genre fiction before. It's like the writing was not worthy of like a museum. And yet the story was very good. <laughs> so I was like, I could do better than this. Like, if this is like where the bar is and this is so popular, certainly I could do like just a little bit better than this book. I know this sounds, I sound like a totally like super arrogant, like horrible. <laughs> no, I understand where like, you're coming from. Jonathan Franzen type person. So <laughs> I, I was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, not going to be making a lot of money while I'm in grad school. Maybe I can monetize my hobby of creative writing and write a YA novel and I'll sell that. And then I'll have like extra income while I'm in grad school. So, <laughs> um, so I, it was like, I had that revelation in like October and I was like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo because I've always wanted to do that. Um, and I like somehow had an idea for a YA novel, um, that I'm not going to discuss in more detail because that book will not be published. <laughs> um, so I started writing that and I realized it was just like so much fun. Um, like before I had been writing stories about like sort of sad people, like, I don't know, driving in cars or something. I don't even know what they were. They didn't have plots. It was like just people like having emotions. Um, and then all of a sudden I was writing something that had like, you know, it had a love triangle. It had like a, an exciting plot. Like it had, you know, 
tension. Like it actually had, you know, there was like excitement. It was, you know, really fun to write. It's like, why did I waste so much time writing this like other stuff when I could have been having just like a far more enjoyable experience <laughs> writing like, you know, fun works of fiction. Um, I also, you know, very quickly started reading a lot more YA. I recognized at the time that having read like one or two YA books did not properly prepare me for trying to write in that genre. And I very quickly encountered much better writing and storytelling than the initial book that I read. So I don't want to sound like I don't have respect for the genre because I absolutely do. It was just that first, <laughs> that first sort of um, taste of it um, was maybe not the best of <laughs> what it has to offer. Um, oh, but so when I, um, it took me like a couple of years to get my agent, actually, I wasn't really working on that project, um, full time. Like I took at least a year off, uh, when I started grad school, I didn't have time to work on it at all. Um, mm -hmm. and then once I started, um, I had to revise it a bunch of times and just querying takes forever. Um, I feel like I want to say that again. Querying takes forever. You see so many people on Twitter who are like, oh my God, I just started querying and I got five requests. Or like, I did this pitch contest and now I have my dream agent. Like for most people, that is not what happens. <laughs> That's just completely not what happens. You have like months and months of like every time you check your email, you're like cringing and like preparing yourself for another rejection. <laughs> Um, it's very difficult and it takes a long time. So that took me like probably two years. Um, and yeah, my agent is Jennifer Udden. Um, she's at New Leaf. She's super great. Um, and I got very lucky with her. She was literally the last agent that had that first project that I was wanting to hear back from before I was just going to like trunk the whole thing and move on and write something else. So it was, it was like a faded, <laughs> a faded agent client relationship. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's awesome. Do you think like that first time you read, you picked up that YA book was like the moment you realized you could write for that audience? I don't know if I ever really, I don't think a whole lot about the audience when I'm writing, to be honest. Um, well, when I'm writing fiction, like obviously mm -hmm. I'm, I'm aware that I'm writing books for teenagers. Um, but a lot of the YA audience are not teenagers, um, which you would assume based on the sales in YA, because teenagers just don't have that much disposable income. So we know a lot of adults are buying it as well. Um, so yeah, I still sometimes like contemplate the fact that I actually like write books for teenagers um, who still somewhat terrify me, um, <laughs> and it confuses me. So um, yeah, I still I feel like that's like a um, something that I and many other YA authors sort of struggle with or have to sort of constantly be like thinking about that we're writing books that are targeted to, you know, 14 to 18 year olds, let's say, and like, you know, we're all adults. So that part of your life is, um, you know, increasingly distant and it's hard to like keep in, you have to sort of keep checking back in with, you know, yourself or other media about, you know, are you sort of accurately getting at like teenage content let's say <laughs> yeah yeah I totally get that I'm just heading to college now so I'm sort of transitioning out of reading YA and there's like such a delicate balancing act of do you understand teenagers and then there's the part where it's like oh my gosh I've never heard these words in my life I don't 
<laughs> understand where like I don't know if they just went on Twitter and read some slang words and threw them in but it's such a delicate balancing act to write for that audience yeah and especially if you're trying to use slang oof or if you try to reference like TikTok or whatever I don't know like are there books out there that are like I was looking at Vine and I saw your Vine from earlier <laughs> I feel like you should always just like make stuff up or like instead of trying to find slang on the internet or like rolling up to like a pack of teenagers and being like what's up cool kids like how do you guys talk nowadays <laughs> you should just like you just want to come up with like sort of unique things that are specific to your characters so like you don't need to tap into like the slang that like all of the teenagers in the u.s are using you can sort of I don't know, just try to make it more specific to how your character talks because it reads a lot more authentically at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense for the novel and then it makes it, it kind of gives it more longevity because sometimes I'll check out books from the library that are like from 2005 and they talk back to technology and I'm like, none of this is relevant anymore. Yeah, especially because like technology, you know, it evolves so quickly. Um, If you want to kind of... I mean, obviously, at a certain point, you can't, you're not, a, like, a fortune teller. You can't, you know, write something that's timeless. Um, yeah. You can write something that sort of captures the general vibes of the time that you're writing it in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, to pick up a book from 2005 and 2020 and expect it to be, like, at all similar to the technological world or, like, the world of slang that we're currently in. I mean, there's just so many, so many things yeah. have changed since 2005. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you have your agent and now you have a book which came out in July. So tell me a little bit about how you developed the idea for Wicked Magic. So Wicked Magic is about um, two teenage girls, Dan and Liz, who live in Northern California, who um, before the book begins, they've turned themselves into witches using a spell book that they found um and they've kind of let the magic get out of hand they do a spell it gets Liz's boyfriend abducted by a demon and when the book begins they have to kind of it's months later they haven't spoken um their friendship has completely fallen apart and they have to find a way to sort of work together again to be able to rescue him um that premise um the idea that they have to sort of find a way to repair a broken friendship was something that really interested me um, because hmm, I, say this. I feel like there's a lot of um, what do I want to say about this? Um, first, the fact that they have this sort of toxic friendship that they have to find a way to repair. I feel like that's a story that I don't really see a lot in YA. Um, Oftentimes, friends in YA, like best friends in YA, tend to play a sort of like encouraging, supporting role that helps the main character realize their, um, you know, that they really should go after that guy or they really do like have the inner strength to like defeat the evil emperor or whatever it is. Um, and the best friend is not usually like the source of real drama. It's not really a difficult relationship. But I was thinking about, you know, friendships I had had when I was in high school and college. Um, and they were, you know, 
we had some rough times. Um, I would say when I was in high school, you know, a lot of my friends didn't date anybody and we had a lot of like very difficult things to navigate um, within our friend group. And when I talk to women my age, a lot of them think back on their high school friends as well with this sort of mix of like, you know, we loved each other so much, but we were also like kind of terrible to each other in a lot of ways. Um, that's something that I wanted to represent that kind of how can you love each other so much, but also be so terrible to each other? Um, I wanted to represent that with um, Dan and Liz. Um, but then I also wanted to kind of show the way that they move beyond that. I wanted to have them kind of like work through the, you know, the lessons of being involved in this sort of toxic friendship, um, which is what they have to do to be able to rescue um, Liz's boyfriend. So that's where the idea for the story basically evolved from. Um, there's also magic in it, um, because magic is cool. And, um, I actually like no longer remember why there's magic or like how I came up with that. Um, but it definitely, I feel like it works really, it complements that sort of theme really well. Um, they begin using magic in this kind of like really insular way where they're just sort of, it's just the two of them like hunched over the spell book together and they don't have any other friends. And they're kind of just in this like really like obsessive place with each other and with magic. Um, mm -hmm. And then as the book continues, they kind of have to adopt a more expansive view of magic and sort of get to know other people who use magic. Um, in their community, they discover that there are some other folks out there, um, as well as sort of learn to kind of, uh, I don't know, repurpose or redirect um, this sort of dangerous magic that they've discovered that they have in order to sort of repair uh, the harm that they've done. That's so interesting. I'd actually never thought about how there aren't a lot of YA books about toxic girl friendships because being fresh out of high school, I can tell you there are a lot. So that's really interesting. That's cool that you filled that gap. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like I know Courtney Summers has written a lot of books about messed up teenage girls that I feel like kind of gets there. But one thing that's actually really interesting to me about how I've seen readers react to Dan and Liz is that some of them are like, whoa, this is like the kind of friendship that you really don't see a lot in YA. It really like I, you know, it really spoke to me. Um, and then some people are like, why are these girls so mean? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. They're just, like, terrible people, and they're really, like, unpleasant to each other. Like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. We also we want complicated female characters, but then, uh, mm -hmm. do we? <laughs> Some of us don't. <laughs> Maybe those people have just gotten really, really lucky with who their friends are. Yeah. Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> so tell me bit about your drafting and publishing process for the book my drafting and publishing process so um I mentioned that Jen my agent was like the last person I was waiting to hear from when she signed me um and at that point I had already sort of put that first book I kind of packed it away in, in my brain I wasn't going to work on it again so I had already started developing what would become a wicked magic um I had to then put that project on hold because I had to revise the first book so we could send it out on submission to editors. Um, it did not get any interest, which is why it has not been published. Um, <laughs> and that also can take a really long time. Um, while that was on submission, I went back to working on a wicked magic and I wrote like 
half of it maybe. And I was just like, this book is so much better than that other book. Like, it would be terrible if I had to stop working on this to, like, revise that and prepare that other project for publication. And it would be also, um, like, this A Wicked Magic is so much better than that other project. It would be almost a shame for me to have that project be my debut because they're very different. That one was sort of a more, like, high concept, um, like, fantasy kind of a thing. Um mm-hmm. And, like, the writing style was different. Like, everything was totally different. Which is kind of not what you want as a... Like, you don't really want to publish two books back-to-back when you're brand new to publishing that are, like, completely different. So you're kind of trying to set up, like, a brand for yourself. Um, So I sent the part of A Wicked Magic that I had done to my agent, and she was like, this is great. Um, Finish this. (laughs) This is... Like, you're right. Um, And I suggested to her that maybe we could pull the other book from editors... And then I could just try to finish this as fast as possible and we could send it out. Um, so that's what we did. Um, and then we actually had interest on A Wicked Magic from an editor within like two weeks of sending it out. I got really lucky with like the, um, the time at which we went on submission. It was like October, November. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or Sab- what is it called? Sabrina, the Sabrina show on Netflix, you know what I mean. (laughs) The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina um, had just debuted. It was like sort of the very beginning of like the boom in YA literature about witches. (laughs) So um, we got, uh, it was just like perfect timing. Um, So yeah, after that, um, just like basically it was the regular process. My editor sent me an edit letter. I revised it. She sent me another edit letter. I revised it again. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of funny that, um, you know, the book just came out in July, but I hadn't really like, you know, I hadn't been working on it for, I think my edits were due in like June of 2019. So at least like a year. Um, I mean, you do like copy edits and stuff, but that's not really like, you're like, yes, put the period there. Or like, no, I didn't know how to spell that word. This is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What do you think was the most challenging part of that publishing process? Uh, For me, I would say, honestly, that participating in like the publishing community or like the YA literature, like the YA community is just like, very stressful um I know for a lot of people they love it um but for me I don't know I just feel like there's so many opportunities to compare yourself to other people and you know obviously you only do that when it makes you feel bad about the comparison (laughs) so there's just like so many chances when you um so many chances to be like, oh, well, like, they're on that BuzzFeed list, but I'm not on a BuzzFeed list, even though my book's not coming out for, like, a year and it hasn't even been, like, officially announced yet. Like, things that are impossible, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. um, I read an article about this that, um, that sort of, like, anxiety of being a debut author that, um, described this as, like, the internet becomes a minefield of good news. It's like, you suddenly you have publishing friends, you have, like, other writer friends, and, like, good things are happening to them, and you're excited for them, but then you're like, wait... I'm happy for you, but I feel terrible as well. I don't know. <laughs> um, I find that to be just like very um, stressful. <laughs> Do you think you had a favorite part? It's been really cool to see people um, reacting to the book. 
Um, I still have like a lot of um, friends and family who are reading it and like texting me all the time being like, oh my God, like the ending or whatever. They're just reactions to stuff. Um, and that's been really delightful. Um, it's just, uh, I think my favorite part of like the, the whole process is just like having like writing part. I just like the writing part the best, which is probably why I don't like the Twitter part or like, the, like the promotions part. <laughs> um, it's just really cool to like, like I wrote this whole book. It's crazy. I don't know. That sounds really cheesy, but, um, you think back to like all of the times you were like, you know, curled up on your couch, like at like seven thirty in the morning being like, no, let me just finish this scene or mm-hmm. whatever. Like all the times that I like didn't hang out with my friends. Cause I had to like stay home and like revise something. And like part of why I love that is the sort of discovery that you go through of like sort of uncovering who these characters are and you know, how they talk and how they interact with each other and like how they really do get to that end goal that you set for the plot. Um, that's just like such a fun experience and to now have that story be something that you can like go into a store and buy is just crazy um yeah 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 I totally get where you're coming from because I've been super involved with journalism and just having that final product in your hand after you've put a lot of work and effort to it that it's just so cool and such a good feeling yeah and you want to like grab somebody and be like look at that line you see that line in the second paragraph like that's my favorite line or something. I don't know. (laughs) You just want to like, like nerd out about it with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Shout it from the rooftop. (laughs) And obviously that was published super recently, but are you planning any more books? I am, um, but I cannot uh, currently talk about my next projects. Unfortunately, I will say though, in terms of working on, um, different projects, um, a lot of people in political science as well as, um, in writing can somehow work on like four projects at once. Um, and I'm really not like that. Like when I finished Awakened Magic, um, and I had to sort of start thinking about my next book, my brain was like an empty closet. Like I was like, what there gotta be other book ideas in here. Like I'm a writer. That's what we do. We make up (laughs) ideas. There's just nothing. I was really burnt out for, I was a difficult time in my life for a couple of reasons, but there was like nothing in there. I remember being like, okay, I'm going to write a book about, it's got to have some, you know, contemporary fantasy. It's got to be in the same genre as a wicked magic. And the only thing I could come up with was like, what about like an orphan wizard goes to boarding school? (laughs) Like, no, I don't even like Harry Potter. This was like the only idea that I could come up with, which obviously I can't, it's not an idea. It's like <laughs> just a demonstration yeah. of like how, you know, how we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. So I find it really hard to come up with a bunch of ideas at once. Um, so it took me kind of a long time to um, come around to my next project. That's interesting. Did anything in particular like help you get motivated and help you kind of overcome that writer's block and get more ideas? I don't know. What did help me? Um, really just like time. I mean, when I first started, you know, had those thoughts about wizards, <laughs> that was like, you know, a couple of like weeks after I turned in the end of the final revisions for a wicked magic. And I was just so like burnt out. Um, mm-hmm. 
I also had to go to Russia. I spent like five months in Russia last year um, oh, wow. for research. And that's just like, as it turns out, I have discovered not a time when I can also be doing creative writing. Um, mm-hmm. Like the research that I'm doing is kind of... So I obviously work on Russian politics. Um, my research is about um, people who organize protests in authoritarian states. And so when I'm there doing research, like, obviously my research is, you know, political um, in the sense of, you know, I worry slightly about my personal safety. Um, And also then the people that I'm interviewing, you know, they're telling me things about their experiences with activism that are like, sometimes distressing. Um, And uh, I'm doing all these interviews in Russian, which is just like super mentally exhausting so I basically after I turned in the edits on the final edits revision for a wicked magic I was just like so exhausted I had to go to Russia for five months <laughs> I just like needed to like just try to relax you know like watch some movies read some cool books that I had not gotten around to and just sort of like deal with that stuff um and then when that was over, I kind of had, like, the mental space to be like, okay, like, what about some fun stuff now? Like, what's my next project going to be? I had sort of taken that break for long enough. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you need to give yourself that sort of downtime. Yeah. And so you run a series on Instagram called 100% That Witch, which obviously sounds like your book. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I ran that series somewhat more aggressively. I got um, <laughs> we got a little bit off track. Um, I'm hoping to bring it back, but it takes a long time to put together the posts. <laughs> Understandable. What led you to starting that? Um, I would like to. Well, okay, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. I thought it was like a cool way to feature, um, you know, like cool. Um, I don't want to say women. Say like women, femme people, um, who you might not know about through history. Um, and also the other sort of less classy reason is that I'm just like really bad at posting on social media and it was during quarantine. So, and I live alone. I don't have a backyard. Like there's only so much like content that I can generate, you know, in my one bedroom apartment for my Instagram (laughs) or like go outside and be like, look, my town's deserted because of coronavirus. (laughs) Like, um, I wanted something that I could, like, have assigned to myself kind of, like, once a week to make sure that I kept up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it ended up being um, really fun. I kind of, um, over the weeks that I was doing it, it sort of evolved more into, like, um, it got more geared towards, like, people you really might not have heard of. Um, That was a reaction I got to most of the people that I posted about there were like um, always like comments and people messaging me like this person is so cool. I had no idea. Um, One of the obstacles though to putting the post together is that you need to find like people that no one's really heard of, but I'm also people. So I need to find someone that I haven't really heard of, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which took a while in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. What do you think was your favorite part of creating that? Just like learning about, um, learning about the people. Um, they were, I did a post, I think the last post I did was for, uh, it was at the end of June, I think, because it was the, it was the pride post. And for that one, I did sort of like LGBTQ heroes from around the world. And it was like, I think five or six people. 
I'd only known about like one or two of those folks before I did that post and all of them I sh- I could have just done like a full I mean if I had been posting more regularly I probably should have done like a full like pride series where they each got their own um their own post um but in that series one of the uh I guess there were two people whose names I unfortunately don't remember but um they were um in the Dutch resistance during World War II to the Nazis and Mm -hmm. um there were like a bunch of queer artists who were in the Dutch resistance who did things like blew up um like the office that held the ID records like birth certificates and stuff like that because they were making um due to the fact that they were artists they were good at foraging documents so they were making like fake passports and stuff like that and like fake papers for people to try to get them out or protect them from the Nazis. And so to secure that effort, they had to destroy the records that the Nazis had access to. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's like a super amazing story um, that I didn't even know about before, um, before doing that post. And I am Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. So are you hoping to continue this more in the future? I would definitely um, like to, it just, um, it takes like a couple hours to put each of the posts together. And unfortunately at this time, they don't have the time for it, but I definitely, um, it's on, it's on my list. I would like to. (laughs) So I have a few questions that I asked everyone who comes on. So the first one is if you could go back in time to when you first began writing professionally, what advice would you give yourself? I think I would have told myself to have a little bit more faith in um, my skills as a writer and, I don't know, just my talent in general. Um, Part of why the first book that I wrote um, is something that I only wish to discuss as, like, sort of an anecdote about my how I got here and not, like, the plot or whatever is that, um, I mean, it wasn't a bad book, but it just didn't really feel like me. Um, in the way that A Wicked Magic does. And it took me writing that book to have, like, the confidence to write something that was closer to, like, my own voice and style because when I started working on that project, I didn't really think that, you know, there was a place for that kind of thing in YA. So, yeah, I would just say trust your gut a little bit more. That is really good advice. And what advice do you have for other female writers in particular? What advice do I have for female writers, like, in YA or just, like, all types of female writers? Um, you can do both if you want. I will do one, one, one advice for each of my professions. So, <laughs> um, I think in YA, I would advise, or fiction in general, um, women writers to tell their stories um there's a lot of not a lot I mean there's some discourse in YA about like where are the stories for boys like why are there so many why is this such a fem- like feminized genre basically mm-hmm. and I understand that obviously teenage boys we should write books that you know are like for them um although I'm not really sure why they can't read books that are not about boys um but I think that YA an important feature of that genre is that it tells stories um, that aren't about, um, like, cis white straight boys. Mm-hmm. And so 
I hope that the people who are not cis white straight men who are writing in that genre, you know, carry on doing it because they're doing some of like the most, I don't know, progressive storytelling in a lot of ways um, in like all of literature. Um, and I think that's really exciting. Um, in political science, Political science is like very much like a white man's profession. Um, and so it's easy to feel kind of like you're changing yourself to um, like you need to conform yourself to the standards of that profession. Um, and I think one thing that I have learned in my research, not necessarily in my writing per se, but there's a lot of ways that um, I don't know, embracing or accepting the fact that you're a woman. I mean, you can't change that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things that it offers you um, that you might not realize. Like when I do field work, when I'm doing these interviews, before I did them, I was like, oh, what if they treat me differently because I'm a woman? Which is a ridiculous thing to say, because like, well, if they treat men normally, but I, the other half of the population, am treated differently? Like, no, there's only like... <laughs> There is no normal. And one thing that I found when I was doing the interviews is that it actually worked to my advantage. In a lot of cases, like people were willing to explain things to me um, in a level of detail that I don't think they would have to a male um, interviewer um, because they kind of treat you like you probably don't really know what we're doing here. You know, like maybe you probably don't know less. You're just a kid. Like I look a lot younger than I am. So they're like, you're just sort of like a kid doing this like project. So I'm just going to like, you know, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to, you know, be really honest with you. Um, and that's great. Yeah. I don't care if you think I'm a kid, like tell me the, you know, tell me in detail about whatever this political protest that you organized was like, <laughs> I don't care why you're telling me. I just want you to tell me, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say just like, don't think of it as like a stumbling block. Think of it as like a potential, uh, strength as well. Sorry, that was a super long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, that's a great perspective to have on that. And I know there are so many, but what do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have? I think um, observation is the most important skill that you can have. Um, you can write like all kinds of pretty words um, or, you know, whatever, fancy plots or whatever. But if you can't actually observe real things about the world or the people around you or you know you don't notice what people actually do with their faces when they're a little bit unhappy then you would just end up writing things like his mouth pulled into a frown and you're like why have I written his mouth pulled into a frown like 600 times it's not even like an accurate description of how people's mouths work like <laughs> you need to practice like um seeing the world around you um, almost like from a critical perspective, like, you know, really noticing things. And that's also where you were asking me earlier about how do you cultivate a daily writing habit? And one of the things that I said was that, you know, even 15 minutes a day of just journaling, working on that kind of observational stuff, like, you know, trying to describe like the people that you see on the street, trying to describe like your aunt and like why she's such a weirdo. Um, all of that stuff like um, helps you become a better writer. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that can go for so many different types of writing from fiction to journalism to playwriting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all of those, you definitely need to be able to um, 
express something real about the people that you're writing about. I mean, journalism, it's mm-hmm. not just the facts, right? You also, um, if you, you know, the longer form journalism, like you need to be able to tell a story and you need to have characters and you need to sort of capture like, who are these people that you met who did you the amazing service of speaking to you about their life? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a duty to convey that person to others. Yeah. Yeah. That is very true. And are there any books that you've read that have seriously changed how you approach your writing or what topics you like to cover? Um, like craft books or just like any book? Any book. Um, I'm like totally blanking right now. I'm like looking at my bookshelf. Where are the books on it? <laughs> I suppose um, that one YA book could count. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, some of the books that I read after that book, (laughs) um, (laughs) taught me about like what, why it could be, um, were Maggie Seafighter's, um, Raven Cycle series and Lainey Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone series. Those are both books that I was like, whoa, this, these are like actually just like legit, excellent books, like on every level, like from the sort of like word choice and the sentences to like the whole plot and the worlds that were created in the characters um those are two or I guess it's technically whatever seven books but those series are two of my favorite um in YA and there's like a lot of um you know like adult books or whatever literary fiction books that I don't know if, mm-hmm. if you want to hear about those <laughs> you can talk about them if you want um I read a lot of like more like postmodern books when I um got out of college that sort of like um, these are books that kind of, like, play with, like, the form of a novel. So, like, mm-hmm. um, the Italica Mino book, If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler, it's, like, a series of stories that are, like, each chapter is its own story. They're all connected by a person finding a book on somewhere in the story and starting to read it, and that's the transition to the next um, story. Um, or, like, Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. There's a movie made of this, so... Um, Perhaps some people have seen it. I never saw it because I'm afraid. But um, it's sort of like a series of like nested narratives that are all told in sort of different forms, like an interview or like a reporter's like recordings of her notes for a story um, or letters between two people. Um, so I really love um, reading books like that. Um, obviously not super directly related to the kind of YA that I write, but um, thinking about like what is the you know, how do we tell stories? What is the medium that we tell them in? Um, Mm -hmm. And how does that sort of, I don't know, affect, um, I don't know, like our view of the world? Like, what is it to really write? What can we do with books? Like, what can, how can we like push the boundary of this medium? Um, That's stuff that I really like thinking about as well. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of reflection is so cool and important. And you said you've been writing since you were young, and I know it might be hard to choose, but do you have a favorite story or group of favorite stories that you've written? That I've written? Yes. It can be (laughs) short fiction you've written or a wicked magic, anything. A hundred percent, it's a wicked magic. (laughs) That book is by far the best thing that I've ever written. It's also only, like, the second novel that I ever completed. (laughs) So um, there's just, like, a lot of stuff in A Wicked Magic from, like, my 
like from my teenage years from um it's set in a part of the world that I really really like um and that's near where I grew up um mm-hmm. like in some ways I'm like the only person who can really understand that book because there's lots of things that are just like inside jokes to myself <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that one will be my favorite for a long time yeah <laughs> And when people read your stories and read your work, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is? Um, one reason that I like writing um, YA is that it has kind of like a fundamentally optimistic worldview. Like, you can put your characters through absolute hell, um, but part of like the how the genre works is that, you know, because they're teenagers, at the end of it, they're not just like, ah, oh, you know, like, life is garbage. They're like, no, like, I can become a better person. Like, I can, you know, change the world, even if the world remains imperfect, even if I remain imperfect, you know, like, we can still make progress. Like, there's mm-hmm. something, like, more for me. Um, and that's something that I hope people take away from um, my work. Like, a Wicked Magic in a lot of ways is like a kind of depressing book. Like all of the main characters are going through some serious issues. Um, <laughs> but, you know, by the end of it, they're all on a a path that, you know, they're not, they're not like maybe even good yet, but they're like on a path towards, you know, greater happiness in the future. So I guess it's, I hope people like take away that sense of, you know, you can go through really dark times, but you can also use that as a chance to, like, you know, work on yourself and, um, you know, use your friends, use the people around you, like, you know, you can come out of that and become, you know, a better, happier person with, like, the rest of your life ahead of you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty cool takeaway to have. So, that's all I have, but thank you so much for agreeing to join me and taking your time to speak with me. Yeah, no problem. This was great. Once again, a huge thank you to Sasha for joining me on the podcast. To learn more about her work, you should definitely read her debut novel, A Wicked Magic. To learn more about She Wrote That, you can find us at She Wrote That Pod on Twitter and at She Wrote That Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And make sure to follow and subscribe and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next episode.